The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Our scripture text for this morning's sermon comes from the book of 1 Peter, chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. 1 Peter 2, beginning in verse 6. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we open your word this morning because where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have tasted and seen that you are good, Lord. And so now, as I try to preach your word to our scattered people, I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as a church family, we've been studying the book of 1 Peter for the past few months in our series, Don't Waste Your Trials. The Apostle Peter wrote this letter to encourage suffering believers to stand firm in the true grace of God. Peter challenges us to see ourselves as elect exiles, as as sojourners and strangers in this world, longing for our heavenly home in the city of God. And Peter urges us to persevere in faith and love. He reminds us that we have a living hope and inexpressible joy through the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Last week, Pastor Ming Jin preached on 1 Peter 2, verses 4 and 5, and he uh, reminded us that, that Jesus' people are called living stones who are being built up into a spiritual house. Today we'll look at verses 6 through 8, which continues that thought and particularly gives further explanation about Jesus, who is called a living stone, rejected by men, but chosen and precious to God. The apostle in our passage quotes three stone passages from the Old Testament to to explain what he means about Jesus as rejected and chosen by God. And he helps us to see what what this means for us as Jesus' chosen and precious people. The big idea of our passage is this, that Christ is the stone on which we will either stand by faith or else stumble 
and fall. We either stand or we stumble. We cannot remain neutral or independent. We will either love Christ or loathe Him. We will either treasure Him or take offense. There's no middle way. Christ is the stone on which we will either stand by faith or stumble and fall. I'm reminded in reading this passage of the old adage, one man's trash is another's treasure. In my first house in in St. Paul, I I loved the, the front room, which was built onto the house later using Uh, old materials from a a church sanctuary that was being torn down. These materials were destined for a dumpster, but a resourceful builder saw potential and value in these cast-off materials. And so he took that, those wood panels and that old window and decided to make something beautiful to adorn my old house give it uh, new, new value and, uh, and bring joy to those who would live there. Similarly, Peter uses building imagery in our passage to help us understand our identity and calling as God's people. We are like living stones who are being built up into a spiritual house. Surprisingly, the foundation of this spiritual house is a rejected stone. That's how Peter describes the Lord Jesus, who was crucified and risen. God turns rejection into redemption. He takes a stone from the scrap heap to accomplish stunning salvation and to build an enduring structure, his people the church. Now you might wonder why the apostle calls Jesus a living stone. Why he would use an inanimate object, a stone, and describe it as living. Stone is all over our passage. Not only is Jesus a living stone, but Peter quotes three passages from the Old Testament that have to do with stones. What's going on here? Well, of course, we remember that, that Jesus gave this apostle the name Peter, which means rock. And he had some rocky situations uh, following Jesus, of course. And, and perhaps we might think that this outspoken apostle had a thing for all things stone. But actually, here, Peter is just following his Lord's example. Jesus himself Uh, prophesied that he was this rejected stone who was chosen by God. He cited Psalm 118 to predict his own coming suffering and death and then resurrection to help his followers see that this was no accident of history, but this was the deliberate plan of God to secure our salvation. Jesus was rejected by men, but raised by God on the third day. And so that's why Peter says that he is a living stone. Because the stone was rolled away and our Lord walked out of that tomb alive. 
never to die again. Peter learned from his Lord that the spurned stone would be the Savior of all. And he explains this crucial truth in our passage. We see two contrasting responses to the living stone. Either standing on the chosen cornerstone or else stumbling on this rock of offense. Standing or stumbling. It's the all-important choice and it affects every area of our lives. So look now with me, beginning at verse 6. The, the first word for tells us that what, G, what Peter is about to say here supports and explains what he just said in verses 4 and 5 about Jesus and his people. Peter says it stands in Scripture to remind us of the authority and truthfulness of God's holy word. This word that he just said stands forever at the, at the end of chapter 1. Here Peter quotes Isaiah 28, verse 16. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Notice how this quotation precisely repeats what he says about Jesus in verse 4, where he calls him a living stone, chosen and precious. Look with me for a few minutes at Isaiah 28. In this passage, the Lord confronts his people's false sense of security and their utter disregard for his word. According to verse 15, we see that the people of Judah had made a covenant with death. That's jarring language. And I think what he means is, is that they have trusted in political treaties, strategic alliances that they think will protect them from this looming threat of the mighty nation of Assyria. They have made lies their refuge, God says. And so he warns that hail will sweep away this refuge of lies and waters will overwhelm their shelter. I grew up in Oklahoma and frequently in the springtime we would hear tornado sirens. Those sirens are an urgent warning to run for cover, to flee to a storm shelter. It would be utter folly to stand outside holding an umbrella when you see a wall cloud forming and you know that a massive tornado is soon to sweep through the area. Similarly, God sends Isaiah to sound the alarm that his judgment is coming and their umbrella-like political deals will not stand in the coming storm. God doesn't just highlight the folly of trusting in Egypt and other nations to save them from his coming judgment, but he also points out the secure storm shelter that they should run to in verse 16. The Lord says, Behold, I am the one 
who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. We need to ask two questions of this verse. First, what does he mean by Zion and what does he mean by the cornerstone? The book of Isaiah mentions Zion and Mount Zion 47 times. The Lord says that he has founded Zion and he dwells there. He promises to comfort and save Zion, to gather the nations there and reign over his redeemed people forever. I think that in Isaiah 28, Zion refers to the holy city of God, the new Jerusalem, the place where the redeemed people of God will live under God's righteous rule forever. In other words, Zion is our true, glorious, eternal home with God. Now this prophecy focuses particularly on the foundation of our future home, the cornerstone. Isaiah piles up descriptions of this cornerstone. It is tested, precious, and sure. Now in the ancient world, the cornerstone was the most important part of a building. This stone stabilized the foundation of a structure. It would hold the other stones together in their proper alignment. And God lays this stone, he says, as a foundation for something. A foundation in Zion. The book of Ephesians uh, gives us some insight into what this building is. He, he says that believers are a holy temple indwelt by God's Spirit who are being built up uh, into this house of praise with Christ as the cornerstone. So the Lord is laying in Zion the foundation for his enduring temple. Not a temple built with cedar and precious stones and metal, but built with people who would declare his praises forever. Isaiah 8.14 refers to God himself as a stone. But here it says that the Lord lays a stone. I think that this stone refers to his messianic king. In Isaiah 9, God promises that he will establish the Messiah's kingdom with righteousness and justice from this time forth and forevermore. One commentator explains, in Isaiah, only Yahweh and his chosen Messiah merit belief. No place but Zion is ultimately a permanent home of righteousness justice, and peace. Yahweh's word and his messianic promise are the stone that tests all people and all ideas. Peter, in our passage, explains that Jesus Christ is this chosen and precious cornerstone. Moreover, Peter calls him a living stone, 
to remind us that he rose from the dead and he has given us a living hope. God is building his people into a spiritual house of worship with his son as the, as the cornerstone. Whoever believes in the risen Lord Jesus will never be put to shame. Isaiah's prophecy encourages our hearts, but it also challenges us to ask, where do we go for shelter and security in life's storms? In this election year, we're we're forced to ask, are we trusting in political solutions for our pressing problems, just like Judah did as they were concerned about Assyria's threat? We should also consider how in the last few months the coronavirus pandemic has revealed to us many of our cultural idols, such as financial security and personal autonomy. COVID-19 has dramatically disrupted our global economy. The stock market tanked. Millions of people lost their jobs, including some of our friends in this church. The pandemic reminds us that our true security is found in God alone, not in our jobs or our bank accounts. The Apostle Paul calls us not to be proud or to set our hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides for us everything to enjoy. Moreover, the coronavirus has has affected all of our schedules. We've endured weeks of stay-at-home orders. Our schools, offices, and church buildings have closed. Our plans for travel and extracurricular activities have all been canceled. These disruptions have revealed to us that we are not really in control of our lives. I've been reminded regularly of James's words when he says, You do not know what tomorrow will bring. You ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will go here and there and do this or that. And if the Lord wills, we will live at all. Don't waste your trials, Bethlehem. The difficulties of the pandemic have forced us to consider whether we are really building our lives on Christ, the secure cornerstone, or if we have been building on a shaky foundation. The breaking news about more COVID cases each day can move us to fear. But we have a living hope and a solid rock to stand on, the Lord Jesus. Let's trust him in these troubled times. Look for opportunities to love and serve our neighbors and speak of the otherworldly hope that we have through Jesus. Christ is the stone on which we will either stand by faith or else stumble and fall. Verse 6 stresses that whoever believes in Christ will not be put to shame. And 1 Peter 2 verses 7 and 8 explain that Christ's rejection and offensiveness it was actually God's plan. And he quotes two stone passages from the Old Testament. 
we see that there is only one rock, Jesus Christ. And the crucial question is how we respond to this rock. Do we revere him or reject him? Do we love him or loathe him? Notice the contrast in verse 7. He says, the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Here Peter quotes a familiar passage from the Old Testament. Psalm 118, verse 22. The very passage that Jesus quotes in the Gospels to explain his own coming rejection and death. In this psalm, the writer recounts that the Lord has heard his prayers and has become his salvation. God has done something marvelous in our eyes by turning rejection into redemption. The king who comes in the name of the Lord and is blessed from the house of the Lord is also mysteriously the rejected stone in verse 22. We see in the New Testament that Christ fulfilled this psalm. He was the messianic king who entered Jerusalem to loud cries of Hosanna, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And just a few days later, he was rejected with cries of crucify him, crucify him. No one in Jesus' day expected a suffering Messiah. But Jesus explained that he must suffer many things. He must be rejected and crucified. This was God's plan according to the scriptures. People expect a king to be honored. But Jesus, the one deserving of all honor, experienced scorn and shame. Israel's leaders despised him and sought to destroy him. But by rejecting Christ, they ironically carried out God's secret plan for salvation. God designed that the stone that the builders cast aside would be the living cornerstone, the foundation of his new temple of praise. Notice that 1 Peter says that believers have honor and will not be put to shame. Shame refers to being excluded or treated as unworthy by others. The opposite of shame is honor, being treated as worthy. Remember that the Lord Jesus endured the shame of the cross and is now seated at the place of highest honor at God's right hand. Peter wrote to believers who were experiencing shame and scorn because they were following a crucified king. And the apostle reminds them and us that God will not put his people to shame on the last day. The church is made up of people from all walks of life, some of whom have lots of honor in our society and some who don't. The church is made up of people who are rich and poor, 
white collar and blue collar workers, men and women from different racial, ethnic, and cultural backgrounds. God shows no partiality when he dispenses honor freely to all who belong to his son. And in the same way, I think this, the one implication of this passage is that we should not show partiality, but should honor all of God's people, not just those who are like us or who can benefit our reputation. Remember that we are all being built up together into one body, into one temple of praise. And we should not play favorites among the different living stones of God's house, but we should reflect our oneness as God's people and show honor to all our fellow saints. Look with me now at verse 8, where Peter stresses the disastrous consequences of rejecting Jesus. He quotes part of Isaiah chapter 8, verse 14, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Isaiah 8 calls us to honor the Lord as holy and fear him alone. The Lord presents himself in this passage as both a sanctuary and also a stone of offense. The same Lord is a sanctuary and an offense. There's a double-edged nature to his self-revelation. It cuts both ways. You can either trust his promises and come to him as a sanctuary from life's storms, or you can take offense at him. You, you, can, you can reject his claim to exclusive worship. Trust in yourself and stumble and fall. There's no third way. No, no option to just remain indifferent or, or uncommitted. We, we see this double-edged nature of, of divine revelation most fully in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul explains that the gospel of Jesus Christ crucified is a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are being saved, they see the cross as the power of God and the wisdom of God. Jesus himself said that you either need to build your house on his words which is like building your house on the rock, or else you build your house on the sand. But you have to build your house somewhere. This passage forces us to choose. Jesus will either be our savior and cornerstone, or else our stumbling block and judge. Now those of us who regularly attend church and identify as Christians can easily read Peter's words, those who do not believe, and assume that he's talking about people out there in the world. Avowed atheists, secularists, those of other religions who would publicly oppose Christ and his people. But remember that it was the Bible scholars of Jesus' day that called for him to be crucified. It was one of his own disciples that betrayed him with a kiss. 
You see, you can grow up in a Christian home, attend church, or watch it on live stream, be Minnesota nice, and avoid obvious sins, all the while trusting in yourself, rather than treasuring Jesus and clinging to his promises. Bethlehem, beware the danger of general familiarity with the things of God as a substitute for genuine faith. Today, as you hear God's word, do not harden your hearts, but come to Jesus, the chosen and precious cornerstone. Taste and see that he is good. Peter concludes our passage on a sobering note. He says, they disobey the word as they were destined to do. The apostle reminds us here that God is sovereign over salvation and judgment from beginning to end. None of us deserves God's bountiful love and lavish mercy. All of us at one time were were considered not God's people. We were on the outside looking in. We were living in darkness, straying like sheep. And left to our own natural abilities and worldly sensibilities, we would all reject Jesus. God has predestined some people to willfully reject his son, to go their own way and receive what their sins justly deserve. Theologians call this doctrine reprobation. But God has opened our eyes to see a cast-off, crucified Christ as our living Lord and Savior. And he calls us out of darkness into his marvelous light to declare his excellencies and stand firm in his grace. So to sum up, we've seen from 1 Peter 2, 6-8 through 8, that Christ is the stone on which we will either stand by faith or stumble and fall. Christ experienced painful rejection and shameful death, but God raised him up and declared him to be his chosen and precious cornerstone. Our risen Lord is the foundation of the spiritual house of praise that God is building through the church, and all who trust in him will never be ashamed. And as we close, I want to highlight two implications of this passage for us as a church family. We'll first consider that we have a new identity and then see how we have a new secure identity. First, through faith in Christ, we have a new identity. Tim Keller explains that identity is a sense of self and a sense of worth. The question is what we root our identity in. We might draw our sense of self and worth from our family as a son or daughter, as a spouse or a husband, as a, as a father or mother, and so forth. Or we might look to our career, our education, or our accomplishments to define who we are. The Bible reminds us that our identity is not achieved by us, but received by us. Received as we are known and loved by God. 
We see this received identity in 1 Peter, where the apostle calls Jesus a living stone, chosen and precious to God. And then he uses these exact same words to describe Jesus' people. What is true of Christ is true of his people by faith. We are living stones who share in Jesus' resurrection life and have a living hope. We are chosen by God and honored in his sight, just as Jesus is. Peter calls us elect exiles and a chosen race, applying Old Testament language for Israel to the church, God's multi-ethnic people from every tribe and tongue. Church, your fundamental identity is not defined by you or by your family, your career, your achievements. It's received in relationship to Jesus Christ. Through faith in him, we are redeemed and called chosen and precious to God. Finally, through faith in Christ, we have a secure identity as living stones in God's new temple. The world offers us many alternative foundations for unity, political causes, social organizations, sports teams, and so forth. But Christ alone offers a, sh- a sure and stable foundation on which we can build our lives. The unjust death of George Floyd and the destructive riots that followed have shaken the very foundations of our city and make us long for our true eternal home in the city of God. If we have tasted that the Lord is good and have come to Christ by faith, then even now God is building us into a temple of praise that will last forever. As followers of Jesus and members of his house, remember that we have more in common than we do with unbelieving family, friends, and coworkers. This doesn't erase our real differences that we have, but it puts these differences into perspective and allows us to have true fellowship with one another in Christ and true unity in our diversity. The Bible calls the church God's family and household. And last week, Pastor Ming Jin helpfully reminded us about what it means for a house to be a place of flourishing. Earlier, I talked about a a room in my house that was uh, special to me. And now let me share a little bit more personally about how God has used the journey of adoption to teach me about the meaning of a family. About two and a half years ago, my wife and I flew to China to meet our son and bring him home. When we adopted Jonah, he received a new identity as part of the tab family, with parents and siblings and cousins and grandparents and a home. He had a place to belong, to grow, to flourish. This new reality brought with it real challenges. Our son had to learn a new language and a new culture and live in a foreign and frigid place, far away from all that he had known. He also brought incredible joy to our lives and contributed to our blended family in many beautiful ways. 
he learned to eat pizza and hot dogs, and we learned to enjoy chiffon and dumplings. He wears his Vikings jersey and superhero costumes, and our other kids have traditional Chinese clothes and sometimes try to use chopsticks. We celebrated milestones and American and Chinese holidays together. We've supported one another through suffering. We've laughed and cried together, apologized and loved, because we're a family. Our family's unity isn't defined ultimately by our DNA. It's not based on us looking alike. It's based on love. And in the same way, the church's unity is not based on our common preferences or affinities or heritage. It's based on the redeeming love of Jesus. He is the cor- cornerstone, the singular foundation for our life together as God's spiritual house. Bethlehem, remember that we have a secure foundation and a secure unity in Jesus. And God calls us to live out this reality by supporting one another through suffering, by laughing and crying together, by praising and praying and lamenting together, by apologizing when we sin, and loving earnestly from the heart because Christ first loved us. Because of our new received identity and secure unity as Christ's chosen and precious people, may the Lord help us to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together with one voice we may glorify him. Let's pray. Oh Lord, that is our hope and prayer. Your word declares that you have made us your people. You have made us one through Christ. And sometimes it feels like we have so far to go. Remind us of this new identity that we have as your chosen and precious people. And give us fresh faith to see Jesus as glorious and beautiful and to follow him this week for the rest of our days. We ask for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.